morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good people. Welcome to another episode of Music and We. Today, we have another special guest, Josh Plug, or you might know Josh as Joshua Plague. And I, I don't know if I ever told you this, Josh, but as a burgeoning queer punk kid in the early to mid 90s, I was attempting to find myself and I ended up finding your band, the Mokultio Fairies. Oh, nice. And yes. when I was listening to that, you were always a person I wanted to know. I was like, who is this person singing in this band? I have to know who they are. And I would always talk about your band and just, oh, it was so beautiful. And then I ended up meeting you in a, a few years later and it was at Dumba in Brooklyn and oh, you yeah. were in the band Behead the Prophet. And so that's where I first met you and I was really excited. And then I ended up becoming long-term friends with Jordan Rain and Michael Griffin, RIP. And me and Jordan are still friends. And yes. so it was just wonderful to meet you and to put the voice to the face. Then I moved to Bellingham, Washington and ended up putting on some house shows and one of those shows you did participate in. So it's kind of this interesting circle because we are here now and you are a vegan cook. And that's yeah. so interesting because around the time where I first heard you, I was becoming a vegan. And so I've been vegan for next year. It'll be 30 years. Damn. So this is always interesting to me. <laughs> so. Uh, I before we get into a lot of the stuff that made you the person you are today, just describe the life of a vegan cook. What does that consist of? And what are the similarities and differences between touring in a band and touring as a cook? Yeah, late, lately I've been like, you know, things have been a little slow and I mostly yeah. do farmer's markets. But the fun part was the 20 years where I went touring around doing dinner parties and stuff. Yeah, you're you're right. Like when you talk about your story of... um punk rock and uh queer stuff and vegan food going together like that's really true you know that's how i got into veganism was via the punk rock connection you know as a punk rocker i didn't make much money and didn't have any good ideas and couldn't hold down a job so i'm like i gotta make some money somehow so i started cooking and then i was like let's take this show on the road <laughs> and uh started like just using my old band contacts to go around touring with food and nice. what was yeah i mean i'd just cook in whatever kitchen it's just like playing at whatever place and especially being the singer of the pa might not be all that <laughs> you know what i mean they may not be able to hear you that night <laughs> you may not be able to hear anything that night you know so it's like the cooking has been or at first it was a lot like that like i'd show up they wouldn't have anything i'd have to like figure it out you know, um, getting to the store, I was just taking the bus around or whatever. And so I'd show up and they'd be like, oh, you know, where, where's your car? You want to go to the store? And I'm like, oh, I'm walking. I can take a cab. You can tell me a bus route. You can drive me, you know. So it was pretty, uh, <laughs> it was very similar. And it's the only difference was I didn't have to worry about bandmates. And uh, I could just, I could do it on a weeknight because it's not like loud. You know what I mean? Or in someone's part. Or usually, I mean, it could be. Yeah, and then also I could do more than one night in a place, and they wouldn't get sick of me. So, <laughs> but then I tried, tried to kind of tried to settle down, and that's been sort of a disaster. And now I'm all like, how do I schedule this so I can tour again? <laughs> yeah. So how has 
COVID affected that? I mean, it's a little bit different than being in a band because all clubs were shut down. But if you're in someone's house or in a small space, how has that affected you as a cook itself or just even a touring cook? It's cut back on that quite a bit, but I, I guess now I could try to like hit people up again and they might be more chill about it. But it, yeah. for a while, they're kind of like, well, ah, people in my apartment. Oh my God. Trying to figure out how to put a mask on and when and when to take it off. I was right. just like, I you know I'm like, we're going to bypass all this. So I started having dinners on the roof outside my apartment oh, and trying to do stuff outside for a while. Yeah. And that, that worked out okay. And, and then we kept doing it even after it wasn't really a thing in Montana, but then roof integrity became an issue. So we don't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, the timing couldn't have been worse with all that. I mean, it's probably true for so many people that went through a lot and much far worse than I had to deal with. But basically I went, moved to Billings and my intent was to open like kind of a cool vegan spot and, I was looking at places, had my investors lined up and put this business plan out. And um, one day I was like uh, looking at a place. I'm like, I like this place. And the guy's like, you know, I'm surprised that you're in here looking at it, considering all this COVID stuff happening. And I'm like, we'll see what happens. And sure enough, a week later, and I called him, I'm like, man, I can't, we can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And, and, you know, I tried again later, like in conjunction with the coffee shop, but, but it just wasn't happening for, for other reasons, you know, supply chain, just like location, different, different stuff. And I, I'd been doing farmer's markets and I'm like, I'll just stick with that and then, and try to make a, a winter one also. Cause in Montana, like you can't have a winter market outside. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to live, but like uh, we could do something inside. So I'm, I'm trying to talk to people to get that together. So then I'd have the two seasons, the summer and the winter, and I could tour in the spaces in between. And I think that's the new plan and should work out once. Let's hope, you know? Yeah. But it was pretty rough to like, it it wasn't my dream to open a cafe. It's more of a avenue to get somewhere else, but I did put a lot of time into working on it and to come to the realization it wasn't going to happen. And then I am sure you know how this goes, like spend the time dealing with emotionally coming to the realization that it wasn't going to work out and trying to figure out something new was pretty devastating, but uh, we're over it now. All's good. And we're growing, (laughs) growing herbs. I've got a grower's permit for my herbs and we'll be at the market all summer long. (laughs) Nice. So I actually have a garden in the back of the house where I'm at. And maybe you have some tips. So I am a person who lives most of my life in a wheelchair and it's hard for me to reach. So what would be a tip in terms of raising the bed outside in order for someone in a wheelchair to reach it? Well, first of all, pathways would be really important. So, um, you know, bed gardening would probably be mostly what you'd have to deal with. So you'd have to have enough space between the beds to be in your wheelchair and go between them. I guess the biggest advice would be to make sure it's low enough to reach so you don't have to like really stretch. And then the bed itself only wide enough that you can get your arm across it from either side. Yeah. I I would say definitely have the beds approachable from both sides so that you have more options on how to access it. Thank you. The most important thing would be, that somebody would put them in for you, you know, obviously. You know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Easier said than done. And if, if that didn't work, 
you know, if you didn't have somebody to deal with that or whatever, like um, if somebody could even just put tables out for you to take smaller containers out mm-hmm. and have the plants be in those that were something that you could handle yourself or that access easily. Okay. Yeah. And, and just the height accessibility. That's what I'd say. I actually do. Um, my back's not great. I have to wear like a brace a lot of the time. So I very, very conscientious in my container gardening about the weight with wet soil and plants in there. And I have to really limit that. So I actually use a lot of small container gardening, that would be another recommendation for someone in a wheelchair. Nice. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Let's... I mean, I hope it's helpful at all. Oh, no, that was really helpful because I'm trying to figure it out and doing a little homework. But given that you are dealing with herbs, I was like, oh, maybe I could ask Josh because there's, you know, might have some good tips. <laughs> I'm, a good, I'm not a bad person to ask. I mean, I'm, I, you know, not in a wheelchair myself, of course, but I, I, accessibility is a concern always with gardening, you know, for myself and for others. And, and just like, you know, under, you know, knowing about like what you can manage and really thinking about that, that's actually a big concern. So not totally out of my, my wheelhouse as it were. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about your formation as a burgeoning punk yourself and how that has led to shape where you are now. I was a Hesher first, let's be honest, <laughs> and still am to an extent. But, uh, you know, my sister and her friends kind of got me more into punk rock. And, and I was like, you know, I like their attitude. They're all like kind of, I mean, they're supposed to be snotty, but they're actually nicer than metal people. And everybody knows that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, late 80s and in the 90s, I, I guess like punk, like, because it had stuck around already for what, 15, 10, 15 years, like past, like when it was just a fashion movement or whatever, like, yeah. And it was like much more political in a way that was like, I guess kind of holistic. Like, so people were having communes, people were, it's almost like a bunch of hippies in a way, you know, like you're getting some of that with the kind of snotty attitude, like sprinkled over it. So that I, I found that really appealing because I was finding politics and stuff and, uh, I got into it and seeing bands like Bikini Kill and, and that kind of thing where they were talking trash and really personal politics. It was appealing to me as like a queer youth at the time. And I'm like, I can say whatever I want. I can do what I want. I can talk shit. I can talk about, you know, these topics. And, you know, I mean, it might cause problems, but there's like a certain layer of support, a certain layer of protection, you know, so that was really appealing. That's why I got into it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. actually, I went to see, have you heard of the band Bloodywood? I haven't. Uh, they're a band from New Delhi, India. And so it's sort of a mix of traditional Indian music and then a little bit of new metal. I think probably one of their main inspirations is Rage Against Machine. And they have a song. It's probably my favorite song, <laughs> but it's a song about, yes, uh, we have rapists and abusers you know, at some point. We can work on changing this person's mind, but until then, they're going to get knocked out if they do what they do. And I just <laughs> right. love stuff like that. <laughs> and so I went to see them last night and it was the energy that I haven't seen in so long. It, it was like a 90s hardcore show. So I feel right. like that kind of stuff is coming back, that kind of energy and also the inclusivity where you know, people are talking about larger issues of anti-queer sentiments, of patriarchy, of all of these things, which you're referring to that Bikini Kill did. 
And so I feel like that really is coming back because of the state of the world in particular right now. And I'm just so into it. I love it. (laughs) But I'll have to check them out. They sound good. Yeah, no, it's good. (laughs) But I still consider myself to be a punk kid. And I do like some metal. And I wanted to ask you about your Metallica book later. Metallica is one of my favorite bands. It's really weird. But (laughs) But getting to that, you were touring and you're doing a lot of farmer's markets now, which I think is really cool. Uh, You have several books. This ain't no picnic. Something delicious. This way comes spellbinding vegan cookery. But I wanted to ask you about your journey in writing books. Because for me, cooking it lends to a particular relationship and you get to know yourself and whatever person you're cooking with. So, Oh, you know, I'm going to cook for this person, but they might not like as many spices as I do. So I'm just going to add a pinch here and there knowing what works and knowing what doesn't work is something that you eventually build up to. But with a cookbook, I want to ask you how a cookbook is helpful for those who don't necessarily use quantities of spices or look at measurements yeah I, I actually have i'm one of those people that does everything by sight and taste and smell texture touch um so it's not easy for me to put a cookbook together i'm always adding more shit to the list <laughs> That's super, like one more quarter teaspoon one more quarter teaspoon that's the spices in particular I I think a cookbook could be useful if you're like a kind of a more instinctive chef or cook, like um, as a guide or as a suggestion box, kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, people that are very meticulous, they love recipes, you know, my my books actually for if someone's super meticulous, they're not always all that great, because sometimes I'm more interested in the story or a zany theme or whatever goofy thing I've got going on. And I'll, I'll put in whatever ingredients I feel like, you know, and they might be hard to find or even impossible for somebody. So I acknowledge that. But, you know, for someone that's more of a free thinker in the kitchen, I think my books are good because they'll look at it and they'll go, oh, what a great idea, but I don't have this, this, and this, but, you know, right. I've got the spirit of it. Let's go. You know, like, that, that works for me. I think that's fine. I don't expect people to follow the recipes exactly. But I, I think recipes are like suggestions. They're like, yeah, yeah it's some, something to spring off of rather than just a yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of new like chef stuff and things on the, that are go Food Network or whatever are a little more scientific and they're very specific and they're telling you to do this, don't do that. That's fine, you know. And if people want to be in that box, that's okay for them. But if you want to be outside of it, you might like my books. <laughs> that's, that's the punk rock element. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's the exactly. It's coming out now. Hard to get rid of that attitude once you like. <laughs> you know, once you yeah. get into that, right? Yeah. Once you get into that scene, it's kind of like you're just in it. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be there. You're going to have a little bit in the back. You know, you're gonna, eventually something's going to come across and you'll be like, ah. <laughs> and everyone's like, boy, you were really handled that. It's like, yeah, and, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> so, yeah. And then you have a book called In Search of the Lost Taste. So let's talk about the perception that vegan food is tasteless. Again, I've been vegan for almost 30 years next year. Being vegan in, and I was vegetarian for three years before that. And being vegan in the early to mid 90s is very different than being vegan now. <laughs> and so you had the, what's the one cookbook they had? It was the the farm. I can't remember the name of it, but it was the one cookbook 
that everybody had and it was the farm cookbook or something like that and it was yeah, just well like, there's one that's literally just called the farm cookbook okay and, that's yeah, what it was what yeah. were those? The enchanted broccoli forest. But I think that was vegetarian. There's like yeah. moose wood, you know. That one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. those cookbooks were like, okay, here's how you make tofu and soy milk and, you know, all these things. And it, and it didn't really have any flavor. And then you go to the store. Do you remember Tofuti? Yep. So Tofuti, when you think about it now, the way they make vegan ice cream now has surpassed her food because tofu was just a block of tofu and when it melted <laughs> it was just tofu and oil it was disgusting and yeah, so oil big one for texture back then yeah. <laughs> and i i thought i'm like i used to eat that <laughs> you think now and how and you went you talked about the science but scientifically okay. how things have been modeled to be so close to non-vegan food it just amazes me. So now you have the impossible burgers and the all of just egg and all of these other things. So with your journey, what have you seen from being a cook over the past couple decades or so? What has been your your experience in seeing the way food textures, food manufacturing, whatever has quote unquote improved? Yeah, I think textures just in general have improved a lot, like access to ingredients that might have used to have been considered exotic or were hard to get or or for whatever reason, they just didn't grow them, even though they could have. Like you see a lot more of that, you know, the stuff like with the the cheese and all that, I'll do some um, culturing and, st- and that myself. I appreciate that. Like, uh, and some of the meat analogs are pretty impressive. I don't tend to traffic in that and in, in like, cooking so much i'll go to eat it when i go out because it'll be around you know and sometimes the only you know option but i tend to i tend to go old school like if a place makes like their own ass veggie burger i'm like all right it's got corn up in there bean one ball soggy i'm like all right all right just because they made it i'm like let's do it (laughs) but it's definitely been an improvement on that i think it brings more people into it and you know um it's also more accessible for a place to offer something pre-made, I guess. You know, it can be more expensive than doing it yourself, but it's one less thing to worry about screwing around in your kitchen or taking up space. So I, I get it. You know, I've seen a lot of that. I'd say, yeah, like the flavor profiles have gotten a lot more sophisticated. I mean, you were talking about those old school recipes. Let's like, you like it now with on your spaghetti, put a pound of peanut butter or like four tablespoons of cumin, like, you know, just that was all basic shit. And some of it pretty gross in retrospect, you know, the peanut yeah. butter barbecue. just like, no, 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 no. You know, but I, I, I mean, now it seems like it just doesn't cut it anymore. You know, maybe it would be nostalgic, but yeah, flavor profiles have improved vastly. Methodology. You see so much like a, I, I, for a while I had an attitude because I was always in such crappy kitchens, you know, they're all lopsided onions are rolling off the cutting board, you know, one burning and the fire alarms going off, you know, like just whatever, like terrible situation. So I was kind of like anti gadget for a while, but I, I, got, I was like, whatever, you guys need all this fancy stuff. I'm sitting here with a dull knife and like a, you know, a hubcap first, you know, like I'm basically, and, but now I, I'm okay with gadgets. You know, I get it. Like when people would want something like an anti-griddle or they want an induction burner, they want, you know, like to do CV, they want to do, you know, all this different stuff or foam or, 
Yeah. You know, a lot of that like, old hat now. It's been 20 years on a lot of that. But like, I've been doing this too long. <laughs> Oh, so what's your take? Because I know, I think in New York, like when they start making new buildings, they're not putting gas stoves in there anymore. The differences between cooking yeah. on a gas stove versus induction versus uh, maybe clay. Like, What are the various ways right. you've cooked and what are the best ways of cooking for you? What are some of your favorites? I mean, induction can be fast, but I, I think that's basically to me what it's for. I don't, I don't like that it doesn't take certain types of pots that can have a lot of utility. And, uh, you know, gas is superior in a lot of ways. You can have a really nice electric though. And I, I get why people are like kind of, you know, switching it around. I think part of that is like that they don't want to be called hypocritical about it. You know, it's like one of those things they're trying to be purist. And so they're like, Oh, yes, this, which is really not a big deal, to be honest. And they, they, they got to make it into part of the spiel, the part of the shtick, because they've got a whole package to a production to sell and ta-da, you know, environmental <laughs> activism or whatever through government regulation. But uh, that's fine. I do live in Montana. It is a gas and oil producing and, and a refining state. So here I can just be like, well, I don't got to worry about that anytime soon. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, but I also, I've got a smoker. I've got, you know, I can do charcoal. I do all kinds of things. So I, I, I appreciate a variety of methods. I think, you know, it's probably a mistake to just straight up ban that type of shit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And the reason, the reasoning behind it is very, uh, now, you know what I mean? It might not have the vision that they expect it to have, nor the impact, I guess would be my diplomatic way of putting it. And then meanwhile, you're punishing a lot of people that maybe want access to that for different reasons, whether that's ethnic or accessibility in general, or, you know, having um, the variety that gas can give you, which by that, I mean, you know, a lot of, there's a lot you can do with it. Having fun flaming tortillas and bell peppers on a Electric burner? I mean, I do it, but speaking of the fire alarm, we were talking about that earlier. It's a good way to set one off, you know. But I mean, if people don't put gas in your building, you just go get your little propane or a butane thing and light it up anyway. So, what? you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that's what I'd say about all that. <laughs> so a, a few other books that you've written are books inspired by particular bands or artists. So this is where I want to get into the Metallica thing. Oh, okay. So yeah. you have done a book inspired by Nick Cave, but then in particular, Metallica and Morrissey. I am really interested in that. Because, and there's a remote. <laughs> and the, that's right. <laughs> I didn't get to pick these. So what happened was um, the artist, Autumn, uh, this lives in New York now, and she uh, spent a long time doing like zines that were just different celebrities or goth people or musicians like doing different stuff. Mm-hmm. This like art, they're like riding a bike, and and then there'll be somebody else in there. So it's like you know, oh, here's like Susie Sue riding a bicycle. Well, watch out right behind her is like you know, like Paula Jean in a bulldozer, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's just a goofy. It's a zany, you know, there's Muppets, there's different stuff like that. And uh, my publisher was like, well, you two should collaborate. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, so Autumn, you show me a picture and whatever the song is and some hint of food and I'll make a recipe about it. <laughs> She's like, okay, so she sent me the picture and I would come up with a recipe. I'd stick lyrics in there depending on who it was. 
in the case of the Metallica book, certain of the recipes, like you could, once the recipe starts, you could like technically speaking, if you're clever, do it to the song. If you can figure out which song it is, <laughs> a Wait. couple of them like, like yeah. jump in the fire I was and, getting and, ready to say that. and stuff like those, those are really obviously like you could be <laughs> like, you know, t- they're talking about stir fry and stuff. And yeah. Personally, on, fry on the fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so personally, I think James should really like, Consider <laughs> a little bubbly. <laughs> Isn't he in like a jam club or something? He makes jelly or cans or something. Come on, he's you a, guys. <laughs> he was a beekeeper. Yeah, right. You got the honey going on, huh? Yeah. Het <laughs> <Hat> filled honey. <laughs> the interesting thing, and I wonder if you got any response to the cookbook in terms of the Metallica thing in particular, because they played Glastonbury in 2014, and there were a lot of protests because James Hatfield is a hunter. And oh. yeah, and the people are like, oh, they shouldn't play Glastonbury because James Hatfield's a hunter. There are two people <laughs> that are vegetarian, but because he narrated a show about bear hunting, and then he hunts people in a protest, and so they did this film it was directed by julian temple and so it was slightly shading those critics and so they came out they did their usual thing with the ecstasy of gold and then uh the ennio morricone song and then mm-hmm. they all had bear suits and they had their rifle it was pretty funny <laughs> 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 I actually hadn't heard about any of that. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty funny. I love that it's a, a vegan cookbook. It's not really about Metallica. Yes. For me, being a very open socialist, people have made fun of me for loving Metallica over the years because the politics of <laughs> And I'm like, you know, there are things that I connect with. Yes, the politics are different, but... I am like far to the left of even the most left of that band. <laughs> right. I think there's something that connects in terms of how people relate to the lyrics and how people relate to the riffs and everything. But yeah, definitely. The one that I am very interested in asking about, and I don't even know if you know anything about this, is the Morrissey one because <laughs> because a lot of people protested James Hetfield and Metallica by extension, but Morrissey has been openly pro Brexit, openly xenophobic, openly racist. Right. That Asian people are a subspecies and all of this, and yet people somehow keep supporting him. And I'm not even talking about the cookbook because your right. cookbooks are inspired by artists and aren't necessarily. Yeah, well, we also we have to stay in parody realm, otherwise we exactly. get sued. <laughs> exactly. But I just find that interesting in how vegans tend to love people like Morrissey because he is about yeah. right. But he literally is a racist people. So Well, as you know, like people that are into one thing, for example, a diet or whatever or animal rights, they might not necessarily have uh <laughs> should I put yeah. this much sensitivity for like labor or you know, different things like that. Yeah, and also in this case, I think that they're just like, well, I like the Smiths. Well, I like, you know, I get it, you know. And in our case, it's like, 
like what you were saying about like you just enjoy certain aspects of it i think that's okay you don't always have to buy into whatever the performers are saying in their political life Uh, to be honest like i really who could i even use it any band I, unless they're like a punk rock band or something where politics is really part of why i'm into them i don't want to hear shit out of them about it please i'm just like keep it to yourself go do your thing i'm not interested in your opinion you know so I, i'd say that about him <laughs> you know, I mean, he's trying to talk trash or whatever and, and you know be like you kip and all this like I was like, okay, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the music or the cookbook or whatever. I, I get why people would be upset. They don't need to buy it, you know, but he isn't getting any money off of it. So right. <laughs> at least as far as I know, <laughs> maybe he's reselling them at his shows. Oh, shit. Have you summoned my name? I want the money. <laughs> <laughs> you have spoken my name. He's like a, a demon shows up. That is, the Tumpsh, wasn't that the one on the young ones? <laughs> <laughs> But with the punk rock element in all of this, have you, like, we're, we're talking about the acknowledgement, the intersectionality. Have you run into folks who are vegan on your tours or uh, doing farmers markets or whatever, where you've had to talk about these things where somebody is just, you know, coming to like Morrissey like, and then they're like, I love animals so much. Thank you for making this cookbook. But humans, have you ever had to? Have? <laughs> no, they're not like that. Like sometimes people want to, like you know, kind of talk about like what their feelings are about it or whatever, and that's fine. But that tends to be more commiserating than them like having like a reverse reaction to people being upset about it or whatever. That I don't really hear that from people. Also, I mean, you know, some of the times they know my background and they probably are get the drift that I might not be all that receptive <laughs> if they were to do so. I, I'm there to sell my food, you know. So, I mean, in general, you know, because I've toured with, like, the bike tour and stuff, like, um, doing food and that brought in, like, people from cities and, and planning commission, all kinds of people. You get all kinds of people that are into bikes. And then at the markets here, it's Montana, you know, so there's going to, a chunk of customers are going to be conservative. That's just how it is. But fortunately, one way or the other, people don't tend to talk a lot about it. <laughs> and then uh, also at market, we tend to be for not supposed to like get super into politics or whatever, but uh, it comes out a little bit. You'll hear people, I'll, I'll hear them saying something. A lot of the time it's about diet or growing methods and, and you hear buzz buzzwords here and there and i'll be a little bit like well you know (laughs) i might have to set something straight here or there so you you get it it's very nuanced though you don't get a lot of people really coming up or i don't in my face and like getting into it with me about stuff and i mean i I don't know if you could see me now or how i look when i'm at the market then maybe that's part of the reason why (laughs) i don't look like i'm super approachable (laughs) let's put it that way um, I try to be friendly. You know, I've had a few people say otherwise, but whatever. If they're not buying anything, what do I care? <laughs> so what's the difference between <laughs> your experience as a cook in Montana, versus uh, Olympia, or larger cities? It's a little, you have to explain more, but I mean, it is a city in Montana, you know, so it's, it's not, and they travel, you know, they've been around a lot of people are from other places. It's not like they totally don't know what's up or whatever, but sometimes there's a little bit more explanation. And, you know, Olympia involves a lot less. I'd say like a city like Olympia or somewhere like New York or San Francisco, you know, or Berlin involves more expectation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd say that you got competition. They're not 
you're not sitting there and going to put up just some whatever. It has to have some level of sophistication to it. I've fallen short a lot, sure. I've done weird stuff, confrontational stuff, stuff that they're just not even going <laughs> to deal with, you know. But but generally speaking, they expect something out of you. And here, it's a little bit more, you're presenting something and then you kind of explain. <laughs> you know, so, And that's fine. And and uh, I've kind of trying to get in the side of their head here a little bit, you know. Like I'm doing like Scandinavian stuff and variations on that and Dutch things and I'll, you know, get, we'll start talking about it. Cause they'll be like, Oh, I remember, you know, my grandma used to make something like this. And then I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> I'll be like, well, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, you know, and what, like I make weird kinds of left and I was making it out of turnips and, it, and they're like, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, find the oldest Norwegian you know, and ask them about the turnip left. So. Wow. <laughs> so it gets, it gets interesting and, and they'll converse about it. Sometimes I barker like at the larger market, because otherwise they just walk straight past you. It's one, one reason why I'm doing herbs because they'll see the green and they'll come over and investigate, but I'll go vegan baked goods, freshly roasted coffee, wheat free items, wheat filled items, no glassemic. then they come over and look you know but some people hear vegan and they're just immediately like "Uh -uh." uh-uh i'm like well you got all that lard and your loaf of uh on your baguette (laughs) you make your baguette with lard you're having your apple pie with a moose face in it you know it's like what do you think i'm making over here i'm not sitting here trying to serve you a vegan steak it's a fucking empanada (laughs) it's a flatbread it's a little pie you know who cares just try it Knock it off. <laughs> I mean, when they say I have attitude, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> just, just tell them. <laughs> yeah, right. What's funny is I'll get recognized every once in a while. I'll be like at the airport and someone will be like, you look, something about you is familiar. And I'll just go, vegan baked goods, freshly roasted coffee. And they're like, oh, the farmer's market. And I'm like, yes, hello. <laughs> Come see me next summer. <laughs> have you... <laughs> Ever had anyone that you've met that was so vehemently anti-vegan and then over time they may have gotten your cookbooks or they may have had conversations with you and it came yeah. out, oh, I'm vegan now. I just wanted to really <laughs> do that. I've, I've seen it happen. Usually it's on a doctor's orders. So. <laughs> no, I can't eat this anymore, but that one time you made meatballs. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah, usually it's like I cooked something and they're like, oh, that was pretty good. And then they'll be like, I've been working a lot more vegan stuff into my food since you show that it's not always gross. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> so it does, it is influential, I think. And, you know, when the more culturally acceptable something becomes, the more cultural it becomes, it tends to spread. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. what's your advice suggestion etc for someone who is interested in getting in a vegan diet i would say you can start with some meals it doesn't have to be all at once in spite of what some people might say i mean they prefer it because it's you know like animal rights stuff is like kind of i mean it's a thing it's a holistic thing you know but if you're just thinking about it like you know, you go feel free to start small. And when you start finding things you like, expand on it. That's what I'd say. You know, f- start finding things you like, things that you trust and, and go from there. You know, you don't have to replace everything all at once and do what you're comfortable with to start out. And then you can slowly like 
escalate or elevate the process as you feel comfortable. That would be my advice. And my last question to you is what would be a good soundtrack for either just making vegan food in general or somebody using your cookbook and making some food? What would be a good soundtrack to accompany your cookbook? Well, if it's the Metallica cookbook, listen to Metallica. But I, I'd say in general, you know, maybe some old Judas Priest or uh, The Sweet or like a 999 record or The Gang of Four or some Blondie or, uh, uh, you know, Grace Jones is a good one. Like, uh, that's a frequent kitchen for me, especially pull up to the bumper and like, you know, Prince, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of good David Bowie, Brian Eno, come on, kitchen time. <laughs> Wow, that's some, that, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I'm kind of in a pseudo post-new wave, yeah. post-punk kitchen kind of place right there. But like, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that is a lot of what I listen to. I do listen to some folk music too, but sometimes that can get on my nerves. You know, it'd be like, be like Fairport Convention and Steel Eyes Band and Plank Steed, Clonade yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, you've seen me play weird folk music, so you know. <laughs> I like that a little bit. I'm still doing that weird act, by the way. <laughs> and what I'll say about Billings is they're very tolerant of it. <laughs> really? Well, that's good. You were <laughs> laughing. She just saw me do some totally weird act a couple of days ago. But uh, they were very polite. They clapped. They also got a big lecture about medieval French. <laughs> do you name drop Bob Dylan? You're like, there's a Bob Dylan connection to Billings, Montana, somewhere. Some somebody said that to me. Yeah, didn't he, did he live here for a little while or something? I he think was on so. A ranch, yeah, or he worked on a ranch nearby or something like that. Yeah, there's some connection to Billings, yeah. Montana. Either was he was he born in Billings, Montana, or either lived oh, no. there or something. No, but I'm pretty sure what it was, was that he was on a ranch not far from here, like over by Yellowstone somewhere for a while. I think that's what happened. Okay. (laughs) No, no, he wasn't born here. We don't have too much famous. (laughs) The guy, the guy that uh, invented the compound bow, like lived here for a while and died here. (laughs) Yes. I've never heard anybody talk about it though. Cause if I was at like, she worked at the, the, archery place or at shields or whatever i'd be like you know <laughs> yeah, they want to get more into stuff like this matter of fact <laughs> as you you're chopping uh onions or peppers you're chopping to the beat of i love a man in a uniform gang of four you're like <laughs> yeah well <laughs> you got me <laughs> that's uh that's pretty much what's going on in my kitchen to be honest I'm just in there in like my cowboy boots, like, you know, like uh, drinking a beer and dancing around with a gang of four, making like uh, empanadas or Josh pockets, as I call them. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and do you have any last comments, questions, words, et cetera, for this episode? <laughs> yeah, be cool, drop out of school. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. Everybody be nice. <laughs> I guess that's my life. It's all haggard out there right now. Things terrible. You know, just try to try to enjoy yourselves a little. <laughs> that's a good that's a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. 
Yeah, thank you. Good talking to you. It's been a while. Yes, I know. I'll talk to you soon. All right.